seriously, three weeks? I, I didn't know that. That's good to know. Dean's so demanding. He, he knew I had this one sermon called uh, Press On, Press In, and Press Through. And he goes, turn it into a series. And mate, that, that's lots of work. So that's uh, what we're up to for the next few weeks. Each one will have a different emphasis. But the goal of this is by the, uh, two weeks from now, you have a renewed sense of who God is and can be in your life, and especially how you connect with him. One of the things I love about doing what I get to do around the world is getting to hear the narratives of people's lives. You have no idea how uniquely weird and wonderful people sitting in your row are. Some of them a little more weird, some of them a little more wonderful. Put it together, they're weird and wonderful people. Look at you. That's how I would describe you. Whenever I'm asked, I said, people in Perth, weird, wonderful people, you should hear their stories. But what happens to us in the human experience is that we assume part of what happens to us, part of what we're like is just normal. So people are always asking, there's whole shows, whole websites, am I normal? And I always say, if you have to ask, the answer is no, no. And why would you want to be normal? And what is that? Part of programs like the doctoral program I run in New York, we're always doing assessments on people to help them understand what they're really like and to help us understand what they're really like. And we, we had a young woman who runs this unique organization in our program just recently. And when we ran her clinical personality profile in a, in a group setting, she said, I'm disappointed. I'm so normal. I thought I was far more interesting than this. And I said, well, you have developed a flair. However, this is not how you're hardwired. You have developed this. And she's going, so am I normal? And I said, yeah, you, you are. But that doesn't mean make this more extreme. Just leave it where it is. You'll be fine. The other one that I always love is people go, isn't everyone like this? And I go, oh, dear God, no. No, please, don't. Don't put this. No, you're, you're unique. Let's, let's stick with that word. Let's go to the text this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, Paul gives his own story. One of the best things you can do is frame the narrative of your life. Frame your story. For those of you who've got a life change story, it's just great to tell again. Especially in ways that it reflects sort of the nature and the power of God. For those of you who in some way hope to influence, whether it's family members or those beyond, those who are connected to you in your life, telling your story, especially in non-religious ways, is one of the best ways to influence other people. It's a way to make their life um, somewhat, or make your faith interesting in their life so they can see a bit of how God is at work. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul begins, who wrote this um, book, he begins by talking about his own life story. And he starts like this. He goes, watch out for those dogs. 
Uh, he's not talking about puppies out there. He's talking about those people who seek to devour and lead other people astray. He said, men who do evil, they're the mutilators of the flesh. Strong Jewish tradition. And he said, for it is we who are of the circumcision, the, the law-abiding Jews of his era. He said, uh, but we who put confidence in this have done that. However, he says, though myself, for reasons I tried to build confidence, but no, no. He said, if anyone thinks that he has a reason to put confidence in their own story, in their own flesh, I have even more. And he begins to give his detailed description of how he was this amazing Jewish lad who became this persecutor of the church to uphold all of the Jewish standards. And he gives his basic narrative of his pedigree of how amazing he was in the Jewish faith. Now, most of the time, when this passage is preached in places like this, the speaker spends a lot of time describing all of how amazing Paul was as a Jew. And you're going, and what is this for me in WA? Or you just go, oh, cool religious facts. What I'd like to do this morning is to say that was Paul's story. So we've got to deal with both the personal side and religious factors that have influenced your narrative. We'll deal a bit with both, but spend more time this morning, not on the religious side, but more on the personal side. What we discover for a number of us, and you don't have to be very old, that the religious influence has taken on a life of its own, sometimes apart from the rest of your life. So you've got this life you live, and then you've got this religious side. The last time I was here, we actually did a whole evening on the religious spirit and looked at what's the darker side of that and asked you to sort of stand and identify the ones that had influenced you. It was interesting to hear the comments you said, you embarrassed us in front of all of our friends. Well, it wasn't like a surprise to them. <laughs> Come on, it's not like you live this in a vacuum and nobody knows this about you. But one of the things we'll get at by the end of today is that if you only try to deal with your life situations in religious terms, you take on what is called a religious spirit. And you have this two-fold aspect of your life. Here's the human side, here's the religious side, and the two often don't match. And what happens to some of us is we take that religious side and that's what we push on other people. And if you haven't noticed, not that many people are warm to that. So let's deal a bit more with the personal side today. So let's understand about you, the culture you've come from, your subculture, your sub-subculture. You're going, I have those? Yes, you do. You are Aussie, some of you. There's a few transplants among us. I've seen you. Some of you have uh, weird and wonderful accents, and some of you have other ones. Thanks for laughing, Dean. I was thinking of you. <laughs> You're Aussie. But it's interesting when I mentioned I'm going to Australia, people from Oz go, oh, where are you headed? And I go, I'm going to Perth. The responses are really interesting. It's all the way like, never been there, to, oh, why? <laughs> and I'm going, because that's where the cool people on the planet live. Yeah. 
Yeah, forgive me, pandering to the audience. <laughs> but even in Oz, it's interesting because they know over here, which is what it's called, you know that, over there, it's different. No. <laughs> and some of you from the East are going, oh, it is. <laughs> some thankfully, some not. But then you're not only followers of Jesus, which as you know, for those of you who are, puts you in a subculture, a sub-subculture. But you're part of this unique group called the Churches of Christ, as if the rest aren't. Who are they with? <laughs> so they're those other people over there. So they're the sub-sub-subculture people, apparently. Now, here's one of the things. I love being here on Australia Day. I just do. It's, uh, it's part of your weird, wonderful thing. But there was a, a commercial on for Ancestry.com. And Ancestry.com, by the way, if you didn't sign up, you could have signed up for free on Australia Day. I just remember these things. And here was, the, here was the question. Here was the question. How many convicts are there in your family tree? <laughs> now I have to tell you, I've been to 70 some countries. That's not a normal question. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in my neighborhood, you ask that question, they somehow rearrange your face. There's neighborhoods close to mine. You don't walk out alive, you ask that question. Because there's too many, and they don't want to tell you. Here, it's almost like a badge of honor. <laughs> so when Paul's talking about his Jewishness, I wish he would have been from Oz. Because everybody would have gone, who are those unusual people? It's your family. It's you. So realize that that's a part of who you are. So when he's giving all his Jewish stuff, this is your narrative. This is your story. And God's saying, what are you going to do with your story? What's the next chapter? How am I going to redeem all of this so you can reframe this? And together, we can have a great outcome. But you've got to deal with what it is first. Do not go after the religious side only. Because that's not real authentic faith. It's just religious stuff. Let's keep going. You've got to deal with your personal, first of all, your personal value. This who am I really? But also the values. How did we come to these? One of the things I've observed about you all here is that sometimes faith for some of us becomes so highly religious, it's the sub-subculture that it's hard to articulate to people out there to make sense. Because when you give an account of your faith, it sounds more like this particular passage, like it's a subculture, an odd Jewish one, where they talk about circumcising themselves, and people are going, ooh, I don't like that group. I'm not joining that one. And when you talk about yours, it's equally uncomfortable. Because they're going, what? why do you do that? Why do you say it that way? And so this passage helps us figure out how do we dig down past the religious stuff to get to the sort of heart and soul of who you are. That's the part that God redeems and changes. And how do we articulate that? 
So deal with, first of all, your personal value. Here's one of the great passages of scripture that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That he's conforming us to the very image of Jesus himself. And that he's filing and chiseling and shaping us so we reflect his character. Now that's a great narrative. So in order to get there, how do you deal with what you say to yourself? One of the questions I am asked continuously, I kept track of this in 2015. In 2015, I was asked by several hundred people, they said, Martin, you always talk about going to the next level, next level of leadership, next level of faith, next level of life. If I'm gonna go to the next level, can you, can you kind of coach me, how do I get there? Now, I kept track, the youngest was 19 who asked, and the oldest was 81. And I gave the same response to everybody. So if you're somewhere between 19 and 81, we could drop it down to 16 to 94 if you'd like. It's the same, track your self-talk. What do you say to yourself about yourself? It is so hard for God's spirit to override that because the voice in your head is so strong. Now, for a few of you, it's slightly arrogant. For some of you, it's slightly critical of others. You're never the bad one. They are. It's their fault. They're the jerks. They're whatever. You know this. You know the voice that runs. But see, we don't know that. You got a smile on your face. We think you're reasonable people. And inside, you're cutting others to shreds. Tough for those closest to you. Those who love you most, you're going, what did I do? Nothing, I just don't like you. Except you don't say that. You just run a voice in your head. But for high percentages of us, I'm sure, and I'm not playing amateur psychotherapist here, this is just kind of human nature stuff. There's a voice in there that discredits you. It's always interesting, I get people sent to me by other people. <laughs> and so I had one recently, he'd been a high quality missionary in Latin America, and he was home for a one year home assignment. And he was connected to a mentor. And after the first meeting, the mentor said, oh, we have to fly you to New York to meet with Martin. And he goes, how bad must I be? <laughs> it's always the question. And so I gave him this assignment to track what works and what's running in his head. And uh, he was unaware. We met a day and a half later. And the voice that ran in his head was a discrediting voice that swore at him 10, 12 times a day. You, and then fill in the blanks of several swears. And I said to him, that's not very nice missionary talk. I said, here's the question, whose voice is it? And he goes, it's my brother's. He goes, I hear it, it's my brother's voice. Started when I was about 10, didn't stop till my brother moved out, went to the military and then on to uni. And I said, mate, that was almost 30 years ago. And he goes, I know, still in my head, dozen times a day. I'm going, He's a smart bloke, how did he not get this? Figure out those voices. They are contrary to what the Spirit of God wants to do. 
You've got to identify them. The text will give you that. Which then goes, who am I really? My, who my biggest fans say I am? I had fun a couple weeks ago when I was here in the evening service. I um, talked with as many of the younger folk here that I could. And here's my question I posed to them. What if you are actually as good as your biggest fans say you are? Now, you want to talk about subculture. Every one of them, a smile came over their face. I have fans? Yes, you do. And they started, and then every one of them said, you see, in our culture, that doesn't work. And they all described to me tall poppy syndrome, as if I was a moron. which I appreciated <laughs> because obviously they didn't regard me highly. <laughs> and I said, y you know, that only works here. That how good you actually are is celebrated in other places on the planet. You know that, right? And they went, yeah, but here. And you could watch their face drop. Now, one of the dreams of God that is a place like this, you're not subculture people, you're counterculture people. That you speak the words of God and the voice of God in a way that counters the culture and partners with the Spirit of God. So that the people who are 16 to 25, when you say to them, what if you were as good as your biggest fans say you are? The smile would stay and they would go, I get it. I want to be one of those kind of people instead of the other voices going, don't you dare think that about yourself. You see how hard a job the Spirit of God has in some of your lives? Because he's saying to you, the Father is in you. The Father wants you. The Father knows your name. The Father is speaking to you. The Father has a dream for you. You're going, but I, but I can't think too highly of myself. The Spirit's going, yes, you can. It's the Father's voice. Override the other ones. Identify them. Hold them up. And somewhere between discredit them, or as Paul says in some of these books, put them to death. In other words, kill the little suckers. That's, I think, in Greek. I think, it, I think that's how it's actually stated in Greek. Because it's the, it's, the, it's the bottom one. Who does the Father say that I am? See, that's what Paul had to eventually come to in this text. We looked at the overview. Now he focuses in in verses 8 through 11 because he begins to pull this together. And he says, you see, I consider everything that I have accomplished lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. I consider them, and he uses the Aussie term here, I consider them rubbish. Apparently, you don't know that's a unique word here. Okay. It's trash or garbage other places. So it's rubbish here. I consider them to be rubbish in order that I might be found in him and that I might actually gain Christ. And he said, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection, even the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, 
So we've got to go, how do you then do you evaluate your earlier experiences? Paul said, I got to deal with mine. I figured out they're kind of unique, but they're not very cool. And I've got to put them all under submission to this thing called the power of Christ. So it's your successes and failures. In our culture here, if we're going to move ahead, doesn't matter how old you are, but especially as we empower the next generation, whoever that happens to be, they've got to figure out what do I do with my successes? What if I am actually as good as my biggest fans think I am? One of the things in working last Monday and Tuesday with the elders and ministers of the Churches of Christ, both here and in South Perth, I think we had 60 each night. We said when it comes to discipling and mentoring the next generation, we've got to give them permission to fail terribly and succeed wildly. And you could watch people just pull in and I'm going, no, 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 no. See, in the kingdom of heaven, that's what it's like. You succeed wildly and you fail with a flare and get up and start over again. Bible's filled with those stories. What do you do with your disappointments and your frustrations? If you just keep them inside, you get resentful. Some of you know people like that. None of you are. But some of you will have lunch with them later today. It's true. Wow, level of laughter and level of guilt do go together, don't they? <laughs> and then what do I do with my losses and my deprivations? Let me talk about losses for just a minute. By the way, your elders were up here. You, this, this is, uh, you really do have good elders. And working with the churches in the area, yeah, you've done well. So pray with them and for the church that that next generation will be groomed well to lead where this church goes according to God's dream. So what do you do with losses? I was working with a group of elders, last church I was a part of. I had this cool job. My, my title was called Mentor in Residence. I had an office, but I had no job description and no hours. So when they introduced me to the congregation, they said, don't ever ask what Martin does. You won't like the answer. But in four years, when we move into our new building, and we're moved from 500 we are now to 1,500 or 2,000, and we get there smoothly, you're welcome. He will work behind the scenes to make sure things happen. It's a good gig, especially when they have no idea what you do. It's great fun. But in working with the elders, there was one of the elders, he was kind of the head guy. And in working with a passage like this, he said, Martin, I just draw a line and I move on. I said, you drew the line, but you quit feeling, so part of you went numb. And by going numb, the Spirit of God can't access that, but the people who love you can't access it. And his wife looked at him, she goes, I told you. <laughs> Which is why we're running a couples thing coming up. <laughs> Questions couples don't ask in their relationship, and that's younger, older, married, not married, Normally, I say, whoever you are, no matter what you've done, come, you'll fit. And I said to him, I've never seen this in a book, but for you, I am going to create a jackass scale. And he goes, should I feel special? And I said, very, very special. It's just for you. 
And here's what we're going to do. Twice a month, I'm going to check in with you randomly. I'm going to call your cell phone. If you don't pick up, I will come and hunt you down. And if you don't answer within a week, you're off the elders. That's just how it is. It's a strong accountability with me. And I'm going to ask you where you are on the jackass scale, because most of the time you're off the charts. So if you're doing poorly, you're down at a one. If you're being a pretty good bloke, you can give yourself a 10. But whatever you give me, I will ring your wife. And your partner will give you a score as well. They better match. <laughs> now, I have no authority. I just talk big. <laughs> I found out that he had very little contact with his children. And that one of his daughter-in-laws had not wanted her children around the grandfather for the last three years. She perceived him as mean. Two and a half months into the jackass scale survey, the children contacted their mother and said, does dad have a terminal illness? <laughs> Something's up with him. What is it? And she goes, he's discovering he's actually a jackass. Oh, I wish I had a giant mirror. Can you see yourself here? Can you see? No. They're all over here, just so you know. Next service. Next service, that's where they'll come. You can't believe what it did for that family. Because in his mind, he'd drawn the line and he moved on. But he didn't. You see, in just a moment, we're going to look at the part of the passage where Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I move on, I press on. That only works if you've processed through this stuff, which comes to the deprivations. You identify what you needed in your development that you didn't get, things like security and love and intimacy, significance, affirmation, basic human desires, emotional building blocks is what they are. And then what do I do with them if I didn't? Processing is a common word a lot of places and not others. My assumption is not a common word here. So how do I work through? How do I process these things? Well, you identify what it is that you're particularly missing. What about that leftover stuff? One of the questions we'll deal with at the couple's evening at the end is, what do we do with the leftover stuff we don't like? Everybody has leftover rubbish. What do you do with it? Too many of us don't know how to process it well. Next, reflect and understand varied responses. What's your response? What's God's? What's family's, friends? What about that? Here's probably the biggest one in the subculture here of WA. How do I express appropriate emotion for the issue or the offense? For those of you who have been hurt, best analogy I can give you, it's like if you get a splinter in your thumb. You've had them. They get infected. If somebody bumps that thumb, you have a disproportionately shocking response. Like they just bumped your thumb and you let out a yell. It's just, 
you bumped your thumb because it's infected. The pain is disproportionately high. If you don't process those things you say you've left behind, someone hits the right button, they didn't mean to say that. The response is disproportionately high. It's like the infected splinter in the thumb, except it's your soul. You get that. I don't need to explain it. You get that. But let's just lean on this for just a minute. Because some of you are now in your 40s and 50s and 60s and beyond. And the people who love you most go, why do we get those kind of reactions from you? Why? People at church don't get those responses. People at work don't always get them. They run in your head, but they don't get those kind of reactions. Why? You've not processed it. And the Spirit of God's going, come on. Come on. Let's go after this. So that actually you can press on. Which is why the series is press on and then press into God. And then finally press through to the other side. Understand and experience the forgiveness much as a photographer, a wide-angled lens, take a look at it, not a narrow one. God's response to you, yours to you, and yours outward to others. Here's how the passage wraps up. Paul goes, not that I've already obtained all of this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but here's what I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Uh, sound like a southerner here. Uh, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Do not consider yourself yet to have taken hold of it. But there's this one thing I do. This clear sense. This one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. I press towards what's ahead. Second time he uses it. I press on toward the goal, the prize for which... God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. There's an intensity and a purpose to this. There's a clear, focused desire. Here's the kind of life I want. Dean mentioned very kindly this phrase that gets used from time to time about when I show up. It's been strange for me to get used to, because in various places, people go, it's, it's sort of like you carry his presence. When I work with people outside of faith, I've had people say, it's sort of like when you show up, somehow God does too. They go, yeah, we're partners. It's interesting they see it. I don't have to. I just need to have this clear, desired Focus. That's it. This is where I miss my hair. Because at that point, it'd be going, it's cool, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Paul says it's the upward calling, the upward way. Here's a picture. My son just arrived, my oldest son, he's speaking here tonight, by the way. He's a fun chap. 
younger, cooler, less funny version of me. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And he goes, Dad, where are the mountains here? He goes, I've heard there's snow. <laughs> yeah. He's traveled widely, not here before. <laughs> and we started to talk about uh, climbing and uh, hiking in, in uh, higher elevations. And I said, one of the things I love about the picture, knowing I was going to preach this passage, the upward way, one of the great things about passages like this is whenever you're climbing, you know this, you hit a spot, you go, look around, and it's really pretty. Then you look a little higher and go, I bet if I go up to this level, I bet it's an even different view. And then when you get there, you go, wow, I'm glad I climbed. That extra hover long and extra distance was worth it. And then if you look up, you go, I wonder what the, what the view's like from the peak. And when you get there, it's just majestic. And to yourself, you say, the distance I climbed was worth the difference in the view. The distance is worth the difference. Same is true in faith, folks. You press on that upward way. The distance you go will always be worth the difference in the view. Promise. Promise. When you press on, it's both soft and intense. If it's just intense, you wear yourself out and annoy everyone around you. It's both resting but pressing on. It's like engaging in something that has to be one, but at the same time, not wearing yourself out in doing it. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about expanding the capacity so you don't just do this in your own strength. Throughout the scriptures, both testaments were giving, given these two phrases. This one thing I do is from this text. The Psalms have it too. The psalmist often said, this one thing I do. For those of you who are too scattered, not focused, part of your life is just this one thing I do. The other, the other phrase that occurs in both testaments is to do it with all your heart. It's strange being here without Diana. For those of you who uh, don't know, she passed away 17 months ago. She loved it here, and um, she loved you. We talked about it. One of the phrases she loved about you all is, no worries, Diana was not intense at all. <sighs> it would have always been nicer. She was a little more intense in my mind, but she was very happy she wasn't like me. <laughs> so she loved your no worries thing. And then after being here for some time, several different times, she said, what would be ideal from God's perspective is if the people could take that no worries approach and then connect it, connect it with the passionate love of the Father's healing. She said that'd be a killer combo. I'm gonna leave that one with you. That no worries, lack of intensity, 
coupled with the intensity of the Father's passionate love for you, that heals your soul. It's a deadly combo. So let's forget what lies behind as you can, but it has to be processed. And then with some level intensity, you press on. One thing I do, just this one clear focus, and then when you do it, do it with all your heart. It's a great transition into communion, isn't it? Because in communion, the cross of Jesus always says there's something to leave behind. And if you're not aware of what it is, just ask him. He's masterful at going, you know that thing that you kind of excuse? Let's not excuse it anymore. Or that phrase that's running your head as long as you can remember. It's not my phrase. It's not my phrase. So there's always something to leave behind. But then the great thing about the love of the Father and his ability to heal your soul is there's almost always something he wants to give you. So leave something behind and take something with you. In the next few moments, we'll have people doing communion on each side and in the back. If you'd like some just quiet time alone, just come, stand, kneel, stretch out on the floor, it's fine. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, just sort of stick up here and sometimes it's nice to offload and tell somebody something, but you don't need to. Pray with me, please. God, you are masterful at life change. If there's something to leave behind, let's do it today. If there's something to take with us, let's do that one today. This is first in a series. You do have something in mind here, I know. We want to create this partnership. Walk us through this. May we hear your voice and respond in Christ's name. Amen.